morning. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, my name is Nick Harmon. I'm the college director here at Crossway. It's a privilege to be back with you. We've been away for the past couple weeks, and so it's just a real privilege to be singing with my community once again, my family down here. Uh, I want to open the word this morning with us. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 100. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you about an experience that I had this spring. So my wife took us to a Detroit Red Wings game, which is my favorite sports team. So we went up to PNC Arena in Raleigh, which is the home of the Carolina Hurricanes, to watch the game. And as we uh, parked our car and walked in, we were joined with several thousand other people also walking to the stadium. And all around us, you could hear their conversations and just the low chatter of noise. And then as we got into the stadium, all of a sudden the thousands became tens of thousands of people. And this low chatter of noise became just a low hum, a drum of noise that stayed with us for the rest of the evening. And then sometime later, as the players were coming out of the tunnel, the low chatter became a loud noise as people cheered for their favorite players and clapped and encouraged one another to shout loudly. And then as the game started, at some point, they scored a goal. The Red Wings did not win, unfortunately. But this loud noise became an even louder, deafening noise where you could hear nothing else but people hooting and hollering for this team that they so passionately cared for. And our text this morning encourages us similarly to be group participators, to collectively come before God with praise and worship on our lips that we would encourage one another to join in in songs of praise for who God is. And so as we turn to our text in Psalm 100, it's on page 469 of your Bibles in the pews this morning. These five verses read like this. A psalm for giving thanks, or thanksgiving. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness is to all generations. As we turn to prayer now, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer this morning. Lord, if there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. So as I pray out loud in just a minute, would you pray that prayer in your hearts? Lord, if there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's instructive in our lives. We thank you that you would invite us into your presence to praise your name. Father, I thank you for this body that we can come together week after week to remind one another of the truths found in your word. I thank you for them. I thank you for the encouragement they are in my life. And I just pray this morning that the truth of your word would seep into our hearts, into our minds, and that we would go forth proclaiming your word. God, I pray for my own heart this morning. I pray that I would be willing to listen to your word and that if there's something you want me to hear this morning, Lord, if there's some change that you desire in my life, that I would be willing to listen. In your name, amen. 
All right, so we're in the book of Psalms this morning, and one of the unique things about the book of Psalms is that many of the Psalms come with instruction of how they are to be used or the manner in which they are to be used. And so this Psalm, likewise, gives instruction that it's a Psalm for giving thanks or a Psalm of thanksgiving. And so what we should gather from this is that as we approach this text, that we should prepare our hearts to give thanks to God. And so we thank the worship team for doing that this morning, for reminding us that as we come, that we should have praise on our lips. And this psalm comes at the end of a group of psalms known as the kingship psalms. And Psalm 96 through 99 is the psalms that highlight God's kingship. Psalm 95 and Psalm 100 provide the bookends to these, this section of psalms that remind us to praise God, that call us into worship of God. And so as we get to verse 1, we notice that the first verse commands us to make a joyful noise to the Lord, or some translations will read, shout joyfully to the Lord. And what we should gather from this is that this is a literal out loud noise that we should be making with our lips. Where the Lord has told us to pray in secret, behind closed doors, we are to make his name known through audible worship. What escapes our lips is both for our benefit personally, but also for the benefit of our community, of those around us. God's method to make others joyful is to be reminded by our community about who God is and what he has done. We ought to be exuberant before the Lord, have endless energy, I can find myself cheering wildly as I watch grown men chase a rubber puck around a sheet of ice, and yet when I come before the Lord, be calm or clam up. Let my community then encourage me to sing songs of praise to our God by doing that themselves. Now, as we approach any passage of Scripture, one of the things that we want to look for is who is the audience here? And the author here makes it plain for us in verse 1, saying that all the earth is to come into God's presence with praise. Now, often a phrase like this found in the Old Testament could mean just the people that are in God's covenant. But the word here actually means both Jews and Gentiles, meaning that no one is exempt from the commands found in these verses. You could say it like this, all the earth should come into the presence of God with thanksgiving. The Expositor's Bible Commentary picks up on this idea saying, the whole earth has been summoned to shout for joy to the Lord. The nations must recognize who the Lord is. He is Yahweh by whose grace and blessings his people exist. The nations too are invited to sing hymns to the Lord and to worship him. This invitation is a free offer. The submission to his rule comes out of a heartfelt response of joy and gratitude for his covenantal promises. The gladness reflects joy in living in harmony with the creator, redeemer, and king. The sacrifices of joyful songs are proper as one approaches his presence. These commands are for every created person to follow. But not everyone will choose to do that. So not only is our audible worship to remind us, to remind God's children to praise him, but it's also to be a witness to those living outside of a relationship with God. 
that the God of the universe desires that each of his creations would know him, would come into his presence. So is your exuberance for God showing? Is it evident to those around you? Are you recognizable as a follower of Jesus by your life, by your excitement for the Lord? As we examine the second verse of this passage, the command is to serve the Lord with gladness. But the emphasis is actually not on the command, but on the qualifier of the command. See, the author seems to make the assumption that people are serving and is rather concerned with the attitude with which the service is being done. Serve the Lord with gladness. And this verse certainly calls us into action to be serving, but how conscious are we about the demeanor while we are in service, about our attitude, our heart? So many of you are using your time, talent, abilities to serve the Lord in different ministries here, but if you're like me, when Matt shared opportunities to serve in an additional service or you get an email with another opportunity to serve you think ah i'm too busy i couldn't possibly add that to my plate or maybe you do volunteer but it's out of obligation rather than a joyful willingness to serve god and his people as you think about any of your pastors what makes it easy to submit to their leadership is their love for the lord and their joyful sacrificial service of God's people. Is your exuberance showing in your service? Can people tell that you are a follower of God captured by a relationship with him through your service? The second part of verse 2 says to come into his presence with singing. There's a clear invitation here to come into God's presence, but once again, the imperative, the command, is not the focal point, but rather the qualifier at the end of the command, to come into his presence with singing. You know, if you're driving around town, I don't know if you've ever done this, you look at other people that are also in their cars driving around town, and uh, some of them just have their head down going where they're going. Some of them are doing their makeup or getting ready for wherever they're going. And then there's others, there's these special people that are singing at the top of their lungs to whatever great Christian song happens to be on the radio at that moment, right? And I'm sure there's a few of you in here. I've probably seen a few of you in here do that. And uh, so this is, this is what we do when we drive to work or to church or to uh, the grocery store. But what about when we are coming to church? How are we preparing ourselves to hear God's word, to come into his presence. Imagine for just a minute that as we drove to church and parked our cars and we walked into this building, that we sang songs of praise to our God. You see, there'd be such a symphony of voices declaring truths of God's word that no one would even have to get up and preach. Because as we read God's word throughout the week and put the truths of God's word in our hearts and minds, and then came on Sunday morning to declare them to one another, we would be filled with the truth of God's word already. Not only that, not only would we benefit from that, but imagine the benefit to this community right here. Imagine the impact, the witness that we would have as we walked in every Sunday, week after week, and proclaimed out loud God's truth 
the hearing of God's word would not be confined just to this room, but to this entire community. Everyone within earshot would hear God's word proclaimed. Now, perhaps you've been following this command to come into God's presence for, for years, maybe decades. Maybe you happen to have perfect church attendance. I don't know. When I grew up, they literally passed the thing so they knew who was there every week. So maybe you're that person. Or maybe you have the discipline to read God's word every single day. But if that's you and you don't take care to examine your heart, the manner in which you come into God's presence, then you failed to follow this command. For you cannot ignore the last two words of the command that instruct you on the manner that we are required to come into God's presence. Otherwise, the main point this morning would be that all the earth would come into God's presence. That'd be a great thing, but the psalmist is clear that it's not just that God's creation would come into his presence, but that all the earth would come into the presence of God with thanksgiving. Now, I'll admit in the 28 years that I've been going to church, there's been times where it's been stale or I just simply do it because it's what you do on Sundays. The weeks that this is true is the weeks that I am absent from God's word, that I have forgotten who God is and what he has done for me. There's no joy found in my relationship with him. And this is why the command in verse 3 is so strategically placed here, to know that the Lord, he is God. For apart from this truth, if apart from knowing that God is Lord, verse 2 becomes really difficult to follow. So as we come to verse 3, we not only hit the center of this passage just physically, but it also is the central message of this passage this morning. So if you've heard nothing else up to this point, you get a pass, but tune in here. This word to know God is translated from the Hebrew word yada. That's right, Hebrew. We're pulling it out this morning. It signifies acknowledgement or confession. A confession specifically that Yahweh is the only true God and an accountability to him. And this is supported by the phrase, it is he who has made us, bringing to light the ownership that God has over his creation. And this is a theme that we see run throughout the Bible, that all creation will one day know God, that this will be fulfilled. In Habakkuk 2.14, it reads, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The knowledge will be everywhere without end. And it's not just an Old Testament idea. Paul in Philippians says the same thing, Philippians 2, 10 through 11. So that in, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In heaven, on earth, under the earth, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. This confession that Jesus is Lord is a recognition of the audiences of our, quite frankly, privileged position. The people are his people, the sheep of his pasture. The privilege comes in the ownership and protection offered by our shepherd, a guarantee of safety, 
being led to both food and to water, a promise of protection in times of peril. To be free from this ownership, to be outside of God's shepherding, is to subject yourself to the perils of the world with only a guarantee of uncertainty that will lead to certain calamity. This phrase, sheep of his pasture, is a Hebrew idiom meaning sheep that the Lord personally pastures, not delegating the responsibility to anyone else. You see, God is personally involved in the overseeing and care of his people, of his flock. We have a tender father that's both present and available. He's not distant. He's not unknown. He's invested in relationship with us. God cares about you. He cares about your life. We have a God that sees us, that understands us, that knows our joys and our discomforts. As a shepherd would observe his flock, God is actively watching over our lives with great interest. He knows the moments that we're vulnerable, in need of protection. He hasn't left us to fend for ourselves. While there's no guarantee in this life that it will be bright and sunshiny all the time, we do have a promise from our God that he will not abandon his creation. Psalms 121 verses 5 through 8 say that the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. We have a good shepherd, do we not? In order to understand this dependence that we have on God, we need only look at the the clauses in this verse. He made us. Without him, we, we cannot even exist. He has no maker, but we do. And as the psalmist says, this means that we are his. We are his people the sheep of his pasture. Everything that we are is because of who he is and our relationship to him. Without him, we are simply lost, wandering aimlessly without a shepherd's guidance. The Apostle Paul teaches the same lesson that we are not independent beings in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? which you have from God, and that you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. We are not our own, church family. This is a difficult lesson to get across and to understand in a society that teaches us to be self-made men and women. We'd rather believe the truth, the, the false truth, the truth that society tries to push, that it's our lives to live. But the reality is that Our lives are simply not our own. We are not our own creators. The Bible insists that genuine life is found in submission to God. You could put it like this, to live is to praise God, and to praise God is to live. A couple years ago during COVID, I had the opportunity to redo the deck in my backyard, and some of you have been able to come over and enjoy it, but you could come and see it and witness it and enjoy it. 
But see, I know the detail of it. I designed it. I created it. I built it. I know the places where I had to put brackets in, where I used screws, where I had to use nails, the places where I put posts in the ground with concrete to support the frame. I know the things that went together simply and the things that were frustrating to put together. And likewise, God has created us. He has designed us, and that makes us his possession. You can look at me this morning and see my fingers move and my mouth talk, but without God giving me the electrical pathways in my brain and my bones and my body, none of this would be possible. He has both created us, but he has also invited us into his presence. Hear the words of this passage this morning. Come before him. Know that the Lord, he is God. He has made us. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates. There's a clear invitation for all mankind to come before God, to enter into a relationship with him. Your sin, my sin, is what holds us back from the presence of God, not allowing us in before him. On my own, I'm unable to become clean, to be blameless before a just and holy God. And this is where the sweetness of the gospel enters in, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That he would do all of the work on our behalf, that we might be able to be clean before a just God, that we would enter his presence. So the work's been done. The invitation is there. All that we need to do is be willing to confess that Jesus is Lord, that we have need of rescue. The rest God is faithful to do. He's faithful to forgive us. He's faithful to welcome us in to provide redemption through his son Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. We sang about that this morning. And as we read earlier in Habakkuk and Philippians, everyone will one day recognize that Jesus is Lord. All people, whether on earth, in heaven, or under the earth, will recognize that truth. But don't be deceived into thinking that God will delay his judgment. There's no guarantee of tomorrow. The invitation, the offer is on the table now. Don't delay. Call upon the Lord. Seek to know him. Confess that he is Lord and your need of rescue. As we look back to verse 3, we notice that the language is not individualistic, but it's rather corporate. It is he who made us, and we are his, we are his people, and the sheep, plural, of his pasture. A simple reminder here that the Christian does not live life alone, but rather in community. The language in verse 4 builds on this notion as people collectively enter their place of worship to fill God's ears with praise. And this confession that's communal as a group invites another call to give thanks to the Lord for what he has done. And so as the people come into the temple, they provide offerings of thanksgiving and praise, and on their lips they are declaring to one another and to their maker their gratitude for what he has done for them and for all generations. See, not only can we praise God for what we have experienced in our life, but we can praise God for all that he has done before, all that we read about in God's word, all that we are told 
one of the differences that we notice between our audience and us today is the designated worship location of the temple. The language in verse 4 depicts going up to the temple, going through the gates with thanksgiving, and as they entered the courtyard of the temple to have praise on their lips. They came here simply because this is the place where God's presence dwelt. Understand that the temple is central for them to worship. God has given them a physical location where he will live and where they can come before him to praise him. Now, depending on the location that your family lived in Israel, that could be quite a long journey. You could decide that you were going to come into God's presence but have to walk days. And even upon your arrival in the city of Jerusalem where the temple was located, you wouldn't simply just walk through the gates of the temple. You would have to first do a ritual of purification, of bathing in specific ways before you were considered clean, before you could enter God's presence. So now upon making your journey and washing yourself, you would come into the gates of the temple to praise God to make your sacrifices but however, you would not be will allowed to come into the actual place where God's presence dwelt. Only the high priest would enter this place and only once a year. And so today, similarly, we have church buildings with doorways that you entered through this morning. And we have a sanctuary that you sit in now that provides some similarities. But the difference, church family, is that this is not where God's presence dwells. This building does not house God's presence. God, through his spirit, lives in each of those of his children that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And so what this means for us is that we don't have need to go up to some distant city or even to enter into a place of worship to praise God. Rather, we can enter his presence anytime that we wish. So understand that the God of the universe has granted us access to himself at all times, in all places. How foolish are we then not to enter his gates and courts with praise? Even though these temple sacrifices are no longer necessary, offerings of gratitude will never be out of date. So long as we are receivers of God's mercy, we must be givers of thanks. And the final instruction that the psalmist gives is to bless his name. Now, this seems like a weird thing to do, to bless God's name, and indeed, normally we see God blessing people or nations or land, but the command here is to bless God's name. Tim Keller describes blessing God as an exclamation of gratitude and admiration. As God's children, we then have a responsibility to proclaim, to exclaim the truths about God, the good things about God. So are we proclaiming, are we exclaiming our gratitude and admiration for what he has done in our life and throughout all generations? As we look back at these first four verses that we've covered, we notice that the clear emphasis is not on the imperative, not on the command, but rather on the qualifications of the imperatives. It's impossible, or at least it's imprudent this morning, to sever the command from the imperatives. As we examine verse 2 and verse 4, we see that the commands are to serve the Lord and to come into his 
presence. But you see, the psalmist is concerned rather with how we serve the Lord and how we come into his presence. The verses are to serve the Lord with gladness and to come into his presence with singing. And similarly, in verse 4, we see, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. The New International Commentary on the Old Testament, or the Nikah, if you don't want a mouthful, are, says that these qualifiers describe worship in which the worshipers have abandoned the reserved constraints of society and given themselves away to the glad emotion of communion with God. It is the emotion that the Lord draws out of human beings when they are gripped by his spirit. So if we then have acknowledged Christ as Savior and Rescuer and Creator, then we ought to be willing, off to, willing to put off the constraints of society tells us, hey, you have to worship in this certain way, or as you enter, that you need to be restrained. We shouldn't feel that there are things that are proper in our worship about how we go about it. The Carolina Hurricanes pro proclaim themselves as the loudest house in the NHL. They call their fans the Caniacs for Maniacs and Carolina Hurricanes smashed together, so the Caniacs. So this morning, if we put 300 Caniacs in here, would their enthusiasm about a hockey team outdo our enthusiasm, our praise for the Lord? We could probably stand to reach a higher volume about our God, about our Creator, about our Savior, to shout about Him rather than to whisper. Now, I'll be the first to admit that I don't have any kind of a singing voice, but God's not concerned about the quality of the speech coming from my voice, but rather what I am saying, the content. So I grew up in Michigan, and when you have really bad sports teams, you tend not to talk a lot about them. Uh, but when you have good sports teams, you are more likely to be more vocal about them. And uh, the Detroit sports teams combined have made the playoffs once in the last seven years. So, um, and we, we haven't won anything, so uh, pretty bad. So we don't talk about them a lot. But Christians, do we, do we not have a good team? Is our God not victorious? In fact, I think he's undefeated, if I remember right, if we check the scorecard. So we ought to be loud. We ought to proclaim his greatness. We ought to worship him. He's worthy of it. As we come to the last verse, we notice that the psalmist changes from giving commands, providing imperatives for us, and instead focuses on something that's unique to God's character, that he is unchanging. Verse 5 reads, For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness is to all generations. This alone makes it worthy for him to be praised, that he is unchanging, but it also makes it possible for him to be praised from generation to generation. You see, if you wrote down all the qualities that you admired about me now, in 60 years' time, they probably would be irrelevant when I'm 88 years old. My body will have decayed in that time. The things that I can do now, I probably will not be able to do then. But the people can gather in the temple some 2,500 years ago and sing these truths about God the same as we can gather here today 
because we have an unchanging God. And this is the same reason that we can, week after week, preach God's word with confidence, knowing that the same God that created the earth, the same God of Jesus' day, the same God of the Old Testament, the same God of the apostles, is the same God that we worship today. And we can teach our children with confidence about the God of the Bible, knowing that he'll be the same, day, the same in their day as well and beyond. And Charles Spurgeon, talking about our unchanging God, says that our, as our fathers found him faithful, so will our sons and their seed forever. A changeable God would be a terror to the righteous. They would have no sure anchorage. And amid a changing world, they would be driven to and fro in perpetual fear of shipwreck. Praise God that he is unchanging, that I can praise him the same as this psalmist can praise him. So two points of application this morning as we, as we wrap up. The first is to know God. This is the most important thing that you could get from this message this morning. The central command in verse 3 to know God. He's invited us to know him, but more than that, he has commanded us to know him. He's invited us all the way into his presence. He's taken care of everything that could possibly stand in the way of us coming into his presence. He simply awaits you to turn to him, to run to him, to confess that he is Lord, to confess your need of rescue. So do you know God this morning? And let me just say, if you don't know God this morning, don't delay. There's no guarantee of tomorrow. There's no guarantee you making out of this parking lot. I've seen the way some of these people drive, okay? I'm the college director, all right? So don't delay. Come find me afterwards. Come find Pastor Matt. Tell us that you want to know God. Do that business today. And secondly, God has given us a job to do, to come into his presence with praise and thanksgiving. This is actually the same job that we're going to have for the rest of eternity. If you read about heaven, what we'll be doing is praising God. And because we have an unchanging God, the truths that we will proclaim about him then are the same truths that we can proclaim about him now. The difference is not with God, the difference is with us. See, here we're distracted by things that would draw our attention away from praising God. So don't be distracted from your job. You've been commanded, you've been invited into his presence to offer praise and thanksgiving. Let's get to work. And as we close, let's remember back to the temple and that those that came to the temple were not able to even come to the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelt. However, today through Jesus, God has made it possible for us, for the lowliest of people on this earth, to come directly into his presence, to feel, fill his ears with praise. We've been given a ticket that says front row on it. Let's not waste it. Let's enter God's presence and shout loudly to praise our God. As I invite the worship team, we'll do just that this morning as I pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the invitation to come before you with praise on our lips, thanksgiving in our hearts. May we now remind each other of the truths found in your word. May we put off the constraints that we feel that are normal to praise you, to worry about 
our voices declaring out loud who you are, Lord. May we simply be fixed upon the cross, upon you, Lord, that we would have an audience of one, that we would loudly proclaim your name, and that it would be a witness to the people around us. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Amen.